At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lumbic here, the World Messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. How would you thank someone who saved your life? Or how would you learn from someone who consistently is showing up and demonstrating legacy leadership that is impacting tremendously, not only local community, but also nationally and globally? How would you thank someone who is a recipient of bronze star for his efforts in military who survived desert war and many other combat situations and today it's serving community that i also had a first-hand experience to see based on his exceptional leadership and other leaders in community the major change as a first responders Without further ado, let me introduce you to, for Division Chief for Emergency Service at South Metro Fire Rescue, Scott Richardson. Hi, Scott. How are you? Good morning, Isabella. Thank you very much for having me. I, I'm honored to be here working with you and putting this together. Thank you so much for finding the time. I know you uber busy juggling phones and rescue missions, and right now, we know more than ever the plethora of situations that are happening in our communities, how much your skills are in high demand. So absolute pleasure. But before we jump into what are you currently doing and how you're shaping our community and how can be exemplary ways to support and shape rest of the country where we see some struggles, um, in terms of standard, in terms of leadership, how did you, first of all, start in the leadership arena? Uh, I was fortunate when I was 16 years old, a very good friend of mine was a volunteer firefighter and um, he wanted to get me on a, a good path. So he brought me down to the fire department and showed me what it was about. Uh, and I had had family lineage. My grandfather was a fire chief uh, and I had seen a lot of of this type of work before, but I really didn't realize just how much learning there was and how steep the learning curve was. So at the age of 16, I joined our local volunteer fire department and I was enamored by what I really didn't realize at the time was the leadership around me. It was people that that were excited to train uh, new younger members and pass things on. And you'll hear the words pass it on in the fire service over and over and over again. And that's really what it's about. It's about passing things on, about a legacy, uh, and it's about making sure there's succession planning and the next generation of people coming up learn the lessons that we've learned so we can avoid tragedies, uh, firefighters and civilians alike. Wow, since 16. And obviously, being a firefighter, you went in so many directions since then. You also served in military. First of all, thank you for your service, but you did some amazing work during that time. Do you mind sharing how that impacted your choices and decision in addition to 
early on catch on? Who do you follow? Who are exemplary role models? And which great leaders actually inspire you to continue to do more and be more? Sure. Um, I joined the fire department when I was 16. Like I said, I went in the military when I was 18. And uh, I spent six and a half years in the military and got out of the military after Desert Storm. But during my time, whether it was in Europe or it was uh, overseas in the Gulf, I still, I, I was enamored by the people around me and, and their ability to lead. And we learned from good leaders and we learned from some not so good leaders as well. Uh, but some of the leaders that I learned from had experience in Vietnam, they had experience in other wars, and they had that calming demeanor. They were able to explain things that we didn't know, because we all know that the biggest challenge in leadership, mentorship, or, or anything else is the fear of the unknown. And they were able to, um, to assuade that so that it wasn't at the forefront of all of the soldiers. So that's that was probably um, the biggest thing for me. Uh, two leaders that I looked up to um, since my time in the military were General Norman Schwarzkopf and General Colin Powell. And they both had um, different leadership strategies. Uh, they were a good, um, a good team during Operation Desert Storm. They didn't always agree and that was okay. Uh, it was good to have respectful discourse and be able to have the difficult conversations. So uh, I've read a lot of their books. Um, and one of the most impactful speeches you could ever hear for uh, first response or the military is from General Schwarzkopf the summer before Desert Storm started when he addressed the West Point graduates. And he talks about how the mothers and fathers of this country um, depend on military leadership to take care of their kids and they dare not fail. Uh, and that, to me, that's, that's always resonated with, resonated with me in the military. Wow, that is amazing journey and amazing exposure, obviously, to work with some of the very well-known names that um, I'm sure uh, not only impact you, but the rest of the team and created a sense of cohesion, even when we, as you said, have a discourse uh, in opinions and direction as we're seeing right now. And unfortunately, we see a lot of division, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, does not desire to collaborate. Then we see a lot of fragmentation in issues that impact community. So before we get into that, do you mind sharing with the audience that is watching and listening, what were some of the top lessons that you learned from such a obviously combat situation, Desert Storm was not easy, and I'm sure many others that you participate. Do you mind sharing some of the top lessons that break you into desiring as to be the leader that you are today? Uh, absolutely. I, I would say the number one lesson uh, that I'm still learning today, Isabella, it is a daily journey for me. You know, we, we all learn things and, and we make mistakes and we learn from those. Um, I would say the number one thing is perspective. And the, the best example I can give you of that is um, I was a medic in my role over there and we did not have a lot of US casualties. However, there were a lot of Iraqi casualties. And um, there's one particular situation where I was treating a, a gunshot wound victim who had been in a firefight with American troops. And um, this gentleman did not understand English at all uh, I was dressed just like every other soldier. And 
um, I, I needed to start an IV in his arm to give him fluid because he needed it. And uh, he didn't know me at all. And all he saw was I was sticking a needle in his arm. And the people that were with him from his, his unit didn't know me either. And some of them were being detained. And it was a very uh, kind of hostile situation. Um, but that was the biggest lesson that I learned. And I tried to translate that into my career earlier on here at the fire department when I was a paramedic. And, um, you know, everybody deserves compassion and it, it's hard, the dichotomy of being a military soldier and fighting, yet being a medic and having to, you know, create compassionate care and being mm -hmm. able to look in that individual's eyes. And once I was able to look in their eyes, they realized I wasn't there to hurt them. I was there to help them. Uh, so that perspective is probably one of the best examples that I can give you that obviously I remember to this day and is at the forefront of my mind. Um, I'm not always the best person at uh, seeing other people's perspectives, but I have these things on my in my office, you know, things that from from some of my favorite authors that remind me that everybody has a perspective, uh, and it's important to know that, um, especially uh, in the military when you're you're fighting a battle. Wow. I love what you mentioned, how it's important also, even if it's nonverbal communication, having the skill to connect with others and, and, and make it okay, specific when it's impulsive, when it's quick, when it's reactive, right? It's a dire situation, life and death, and we don't have enough time to waste uh, in order to act and um, to make a difference in someone's life. And it seems like that trajectory follow you through, um, through current time, and um, if you don't mind sharing, when you obviously transitioned uh, from the war zone, from working actively in, in military, um, you obviously came back to be a firefighter. How was that switch for you coming back in environment after seeing what's going on in other parts of the world and trajectory? Because you have such a um, amazing career. You progressed not only with ranking, or, um, but also obviously with everything that you've been doing to shape and create new programs and create one of the best, actually, first responder um, programs that I, I keep hearing. It's not just locally, but nationally as well. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I believe when I got out of the military, um, I had remained in the reserves and I, I still had that, um, that group of people that are, were close in it. And that never changes. Um, immediately after getting out of the military, I joined the volunteer fire department again, because I wanted that connection. And um, the fire service here in Colorado is a little bit different than the fire service in the Northeast. We have the same type of fires. We have the same type of people, um, but there's a few cultural differences here and there. However, I joined the volunteer fire department and then eventually got hired at the department I work for now. And uh, fi the fire service is somewhat of a paramilitary organization. There's a rank structure. There's a chain of command. Um, there are different what I call venues of leadership. In the military, you have um, in garrison when you're, you know, when you're in the United States and you're at a military installation and you're doing your day to day job. And then you have wartime if you're in Afghanistan or Iraq or name your conflict zone. And um, although the people are the same, the venues of leadership, as I like to call them, are different. That's very similar in the fire service. In the fire service, you have interpersonal communications and leadership within the firehouse, especially for us, we work 48-hour shifts. 
So we're together for 48 hours. The, these people are our family for a third of our lives. Our families come into the firehouses. That's one venue of leadership. The training ground is another venue of leadership. That's where there's learning, uh, empathy, and compassion. Uh, and there's a lot of ribbing and giving each other a difficult time too. But then there's incident venues of leadership, whether it is a structure fire, uh, a cardiac arrest, an auto accident, uh, or some type of special operations incident like a hazardous materials call or an air crash. Those venues of leadership are decidedly different. And that is, that's probably the most rewarding part of this job is understanding how to be a leader in all of those venues and how to orchestrate what that looks like with everybody. I'm, I'm sure there's so many that are watching and listening are also just being amused and 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 completely taken by how obviously consistency right and showing up but also desire to be the best version of yourself contributes to that and also bravery um, resilience and strength to face these such horrific uh, situations when so much um, difference can be made in split second, depending how people react uh, that are compassionate and desire to provide service and support to others. Um, I had a chance and privilege to experience the firsthand responders from your team, and I was puzzled how quickly they showed up. I looked back and I was like, in less than four minutes, they were already in my apartment. They already knew what to do, and, and I remember how much I depended just on their voice because I couldn't see anything and how much um, from dispatch to first responder EMT and firefighters that were there uh, felt like I'm in good hands. Even I can't see them. I had a, this horrible vertigo and I felt completely blind and couldn't really um, comprehend so much. But the voice was consistently throughout whoever was providing any care that was leading me through that process till I was feeling better, till I get to emergency room, till I get to understand what's going on. So obviously you guys spent so much training and so much um, effort to serve community and seeing how you progressed your career from firefighter for paramedic, then being lieutenant, captain, baton chief. I mean, all of those amazing ranking and now as a division chief and then also being on the line of support. Do you mind sharing how did you not only progressed in your career, what made you so amazingly successful, but also um, what would you say it's, key to success to these tremendous results that I'm speaking about. Well, I, I appreciate the kind words. Um, I've, I'm fortunate to work with incredible leaders. Um, there are groups that I associate myself with of colleagues. One of them is called uh, the Think Tank Group. It's a fire chief's leadership group here in Colorado. And truly it is a think tank. And we get together, we talk about challenges um, so I, I would say that's that's one example, um, but really it's it's not only about the communication, but it's allowed it's about the collaboration that goes with it. Um, there's a synergistic effect when we get together with colleagues that have a same enthusiasm for leadership. I got to see that synergistic effect when we met the other day for coffee, nice. and that's what it makes it super exciting. Uh, I don't have all of the answers. Um, I I may have 
40 years in, in the fire service and military, but I'm still learning every day, every call, every interaction with my colleagues, my bosses, our board of directors, uh, and, and people outside of the organization. So I would say um, reaching out, having a network of people, of brothers and sisters, as we call them in the fire service, that we can learn from uh, and, and get the information so that we can help pass that on. Um, having the humility to realize we don't have the answers. We never have all of the answers. And um, although it's not always healthy to make decisions by committee, it's important to gain other people's perspective as I talked about earlier. Um, listening to people. Um, I have a habit of talking a lot, so you have to cut me off. But listening to others and, and where they're coming from. Uh, my wife shared with me a, a really neat picture on my way in today, which I thought was very apropos for what we were talking about. It was an iceberg. And in that iceberg, it, it talked about the things that we see. You know, we see facial expressions, we see body positioning, we, we hear those types of things. What we don't see is everything underneath the surface, people's history books, uh, where they came from, um, the challenges that they've had in their lives that shape how they make decisions. I like getting to that next level of conversation with people as we talked about the other day. I don't really want, I'm not interested in talking to somebody about the weather. I wanna know what makes them tick, how they learn. Um, with my colleagues in our organization, I wanna understand how I can better communicate and be effective for them because that's gonna make uh, a more well-rounded uh, leader and certainly better relationships. Such a wonderful, again, attitude and aptitude that has been demonstrated. And as a result, everybody um, that I know also in community that reached and talked to you, see, feel that right away, but also see that. Um, which really brings another point here, Scott. Obviously, self-care. You mentioned that iceberg, right? Right now, we're seeing so many, unfortunately, challenges. And very often, we don't highlight also some of the solutions and people that truly respond. You shared some interesting statistics earlier another conversation we're no data right now in statistics right and what data is telling us um, but the question is also what do we do when we're dealing with so many not only suicide attempts or murders or, or things that are really horrific in our um, community that are happening but yet how do you persevere and show up in such a grounded healthy resilient way it feels like resilience is one of the biggest topic um, because it's lacking and based on some of the assessment that I did. So do you mind sharing from your perspective, how did you build your resilience and or, or your or leadership resilience with your team and your organization? Um, absolutely. I, I like sharing this story because um, it's important to be vulnerable uh, and and to have the humility to realize that it, it doesn't just happen. Um, I can tell you when I came back from the Gulf, the, uh, when we had our debriefings at Fort Bragg before we demobilized, they handed us a card with an 800 number on it and said, hey, you know, if you feel like you're having any struggles, just give this number a call and they'll, they'll take care of you. And what a lot of people will tell you in the military in the past is if you reached out for help and you had a security clearance, one of the first things they did was looked at what you were doing and if it could impact your security clearance, they would put a hold on or revoke your security clearance. Now, that didn't happen for me. I don't know of anybody that it's happened with, but it's certainly a possibility. 
So what that brings, Isabella, is, is perception. And in, as a first responder, whether it's as in law enforcement, the fire service, emergency medical services, or the military, um, we didn't grow up in a culture of sharing our struggles. We were that iceberg where we had this opinion and everybody saw us as this strong pillar and we didn't share those things. Um, I freely admit that I was not the best husband and father when my kids were growing up because I didn't have those coping skills or mechanisms. I put everything I had into work, whether it was starting a special team like an honor guard or um, working two or three jobs to put food on the table and save money. It was easier for me to bury myself in work that I had skills at than it was for me to deal with my stuff. Uh, honestly, it took me until I was 50 years old to really, really deal with my stuff. So I share that to let people know that you can do it. And there is a network of us that are willing to help with that. There are some amazing organizations. There's a huge focus uh, in the International Association of Firefighters and the International Association of Fire Chiefs on mental health and resilience and, and uh, awareness. But what that boils down to for us, Isabella, because we're talking about leadership, is knowing your people. Um, yes. I, was, I was listening to one of your podcasts, and one of the gentlemen said, we don't know people as well as we think we know people. And he is spot on. But as leaders, it's our job to know our people well enough to know when things are going well and when they're not so that we can see those things and we can ask those second and third level questions. I had some people do that for me. You know, they ask you the question, how are you doing? You're like, yeah, I'm great. And they're like, no, you're really not. Because I can tell there's something going on. Let's go have a cup of coffee. Let's go talk about it. And they got me to realize that I wasn't okay. And now um, doing this kind of work, volunteering for organizations definitely helps with that. But you're right. Resilience is one of those things that we, we have to focus on and we have to understand our people to be able to help them with that. So when we look at that from, you know, what, what would, would you say will be your uh, leadership philosophy for organizational culture that you created? Because everybody knows what you just said. You can't have that without great culture. We can, you can't have it with other great leaders. And it's so beautiful to see that great leaders, you attract the other great leaders. And as a result, they create this amazing cohesion of the team, right? And it's not about who is more important, who has higher rank. It's about how we collaboratively aim our strengths and create something that truly creates impact. That's why we're here. Of course, positive impact. So for that in mind, I'm seeing so many broken organizations and their cultures, uh, as well as very wrong leadership philosophies. And for everybody watching that are desiring to replicate any of your success, uh, do you mind sharing yours, please? Absolutely. You know, I, we've all seen the um, the mission, vision, value statements that are a paragraph long, and they have a lot of really uh, fancy words in them. Uh, and uh, I don't have the greatest memory in the world, I'll be honest with you. So uh, <laughs> me coming up with uh, single words uh, and working with our human performance and optimization people here at South Metro um, truly taking all of these things that we've been talking about, this big bowl of salad and refining it down to things that I can, um, I can talk to other people about, it can resonate with both of us and they start conversations. So I would say for um, individuals, teams or organizations, um, have some key words that are conversation starters. They're kind of the, you know, the coffee table 
words that you have on there that start it. And for me, um, my five are communication, collaboration, listening, learning, and leading. And leading is last because you have to have those four things. If you truly want to be an effective leader, you've got to have those. Because, I mean, effective leadership really is, it's a mindset and it's based on outcomes. You know, instead of looking at problems, let's yeah. look at outcomes. And it's developed through that perspective that we talked about earlier. And then we refine that with our life experiences. Those five words don't change for me. How I understand those and I help those resonate with other people, that's what changes. Mm, I love those five words. And you're right. When we go into phrases, they may, nomenclature of organization, they may not necessarily resonate well. But when we boil down to the words, uh, those are great anchors as things get difficult and challenging. And speaking of that, when things get challenging, I mean, I'm seeing you juggling multiple phones and all these different schedules and everything. Uh, so radio and whatnot, it's like, how do you balance all of that? How do you deal with, with that? And so that it's creating um, the not only for you a sense of ease, as well for others, a uh, sense of comfort and knowing. That's a good question, and it is one of the things that I, I joke around uh, with some of the command staff here in our headquarters, that when a, when a chief officer or a fire officer comes into an assignment at administration, they should have an administration 101 class. <laughs> you know, in fire trucks and uh, police cars and in ambulances, we have what's called a mobile data terminal. And that is basically, we. that's how we get to places. It has mapping. It has all these information uh, sources, whether they're still documents or they're live communications. And then we're listening to one or two radios in the middle of our vehicle um, for the incidents that we're responding to. And then, like you said, we have a couple of phones. And oh, by the way, there's traffic signals we have to pay attention to in actual driving. So there's a lot of things that take our attention. And for me, uh, and I, I learned this uh, from my wife and from a few good friends, it's taking that time to, uh, to disconnect from everything. So whether mm -hmm. that is a, say, a 12-minute period where you disconnect, and you don't have to meditate if you're not into that, but disconnecting from everything electrical, everything or electronic, everything that, that has light or can stimulate you, and just sit back and try to think about nothing at all. You don't mm -hmm. have to put force into meditating, but doing that, um, we found, helps us recenter our concentration. We have to take some of that time for ourselves. Uh, for me, it's it's about working out first thing in the morning or as soon as I get home before I do anything else and taking that time for me. Um, I have not been good at that, uh, even coming into the office here, I haven't been good at that until recently, but I've seen the results when I do. So I really uh, implore people to do that and use their vacation, take their time away for what it's designed for. Um, it's easier to tell other people to do it than it is to do it ourselves sometimes. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. But it's so great when you see that collectively everybody motivating each other, like when they do a team um, monthly or, or, or a specific uh, events where they track uh, people's activity and, and then they have a goal to reach uh, either it's physical or emotional and to build more that strength and resilience that we're talking about and you can't have that without cohesive holistic approach of looking body mind and spirit right that's a that's a great way to put it and uh, I 
I don't think we spend enough time talking about that. Going back to the fire academy with our recruits, you know, they are working hours and hours for several weeks to become firefighters and paramedics. And then they go into what we call a field training program. Uh, and they have a year after they go through the academy where they have to prove a bunch of skills, either in EMS and medicine or in fire suppression. And then they join special teams. And, you know, we tend to take the most motivated people and work them as hard as we can. And we've really started to look at that other side. And there's generational differences too. You know, our my grandparents came from the depression era. So my parents learned a very specific way because of the history books in front of them with their parents, how to do things. Well, they taught us that. And then as we've gone through generations, there are tremendous differences in uh, what people feel is important, uh, whether it's getting the job completely done or making sure that we have personal time. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges in leadership facing the fire service right now. And I'm sure it's facing the military too. When you have multiple generations of leaders in the same organization or in the same profession, that yeah. becomes a big struggle and understanding each other's perspective. That is such a great point. And we've seen, and specifically with my Fortune 500 clients, we see this all the time. And it's unfortunate because everybody have assumption that they know what, what's important to other group till they truly take stereotypes and barriers down and have a neutral dialogue, which when sharing can be done in trusted environment and no judgment zone. And that is the beauty where we can then really see, oh, they're so technical savvy, they can help with this, or these guys have so much wisdom and experience, they can lead that. And it's such a beautiful way to bring all of that together if we allow, right? It is. And two words came to mind when, when you were talking, Isabella, and um, one of them is ego. And, mm -hmm. and the other really is more of a phrase, but buy-in. And if we want to get buy-in from multiple generations in the same organization, we have to reach out to them. Um, the, you know, the youngest generation very much wants to know the why. Absolutely. Generations older than us, would use the words because I said so quite a bit. Those two don't mix very well. And and leadership in this generation is about orchestrating that. And you know, our organization went from 17 stations to 30 stations. And wow. we, uh, we merged with two other fire departments, three different fire departments um, bordering each other. We ran calls together all the time, yet our leadership cultures were somewhat different the way we did things. Some were city-run departments, some were fire protection districts, which is run more like a business than a municipality. Uh, and understanding each other's perspective gets lost when our ego gets in the way. And we all have ego. It's what drives us to do certain things that we do. But um, setting that aside a little bit and understanding other people's perspective helps with that. And if you ask the questions from a place of curiosity, rather than making the statements from a place of judgment, you're more likely to get buy-in from people and understanding. Wow, that is that is a definitely a lesson for everybody watching and listening to exercise and practice, uh, because if we don't, we're gonna have much more challenges 
um, than we're already seeing. And I know that people are very fatigued, just regular people, let alone, uh, obviously, first responders, people that are working day and out to receive these calls all the way to being on the field to respond to the calls and trying to solve the issues that, that, that are at hand. With that in mind, please share uh, some of the great statistics, how you were able to impact so positively community. And I love that you just mentioned how you grew, that you're now 30 different stations and you are spreading now to the third major county, which also shows opportunity uh, where others can improve. Um, knowing just what's going on in Colorado and then also in other parts of the country. This is a great opportunity for others that are watching and listening to hear what is possible. You don't even know what is possible unless you have this chance. So please share that, Scott. I will. Thank you. Um, you know, in uh, 2009, uh, South Metro Fire merged with Parker Fire Protection District. And um, one of our all-time great employees was our special operations chief at the time. And he, I met with him when I was going in on a light duty assignment for a shoulder surgery. And he asked me, you know, what my goals were. And I said, well, I don't want this to come out wrong, but my goal is your job. And of course, that was kind of funny at the time. I didn't mean I wanted to take his job, but my goal at some point was to be the special operations chief of our department. And fast forward to a couple of years ago, um, when we merged with those other two departments, I was thinking of this 17 station department with five response special teams. And I, you know, I get to lead and work with those. And now we have 30 stations and we have response special teams, uh, support special teams and, and all of these different things that happen. And it just grew into what it is. Um, I have called on colleagues from surrounding fire departments and we formed uh, what we call the, the Metro Special Operations Chiefs Group. And we meet monthly and we talk about things. We, we discuss the concerns that we have. Um, you know, there's financial concerns within the state. Uh, there's differences in the departments and how do we help each other on a more regionalized level? Uh, and I found myself right in the middle of this and it is, it's so fun because all of these people have a tremendous amount of knowledge. So my learning becomes exponential. So the more I get involved in chiefs groups and other organizations within the state and throughout the country, the more I get to learn about that. But uh, from a statistics standpoint, um, we're, we're 30 stations. We run about 50,000 calls a year. Um, of those can be EMS calls, um, but the we have fire suppression, EMS, and then special operations, which is like hazardous materials or our SWAT paramedic response, our technical rescue, wildland firefighting, dive rescue, uh, all of those things make up special operations. But those are all people that are uh, firefighters and EMTs and paramedics as well. So those are additional duties that they have. Uh, and when you know we talk about meeting people where they're at, our community needs all three of those. And that's why uh, you know we put those together, we provide them together. Uh, and we work with our colleagues in and around the Denver metro area and the state and what we call the north central region for FEMA uh, to provide that. Mm, such a huge responsibility and for a big uh, a landscape to cover. Uh, and when you said volume of the of the calls and everything else, 
Uh, do you mind sharing with now post COVID and current environment and current situation? Um, some of the some of the things that you were able to successfully overcome, obviously, because I know you have some amazing results um, in terms of um, not only how fast you respond, but quality of the service. And also, as you said, you already have different ways how you measure performance and different aspects of it. But then also crisis intervention, right? The skill sets that go just beyond being able to do your job, either you're a firefighter or uh, EMT or paramedic or a combination of those, right? In addition to challenges that we're seeing today. Uh, do you mind speaking a little bit about those successes? Sure. Um, I, you mentioned COVID and, and COVID really um, brought about some changes in how we provided medicine. We still had to respond on all of the incidents we respond, but we have to make sure that our providers are safe when they go back to the station. Uh, we implemented different layers of clothing that we wear on those calls that get taken off before people come back to the station uh, and then they get washed and decontaminated. Uh, that was a significant challenge for us because we are we're very, uh, very much a family at South Metro and in the fire service and EMS in general. And when we had to spend time apart, uh, when a lot of the people in administration couldn't come in to work, uh, that created a lot of challenges. Um, the psychological effects of um, some of the medical calls we went on during COVID were extremely difficult for some of the responders, not, not just in South Metro, but throughout the country, because it it changed things and there really wasn't a lot of precedence and there was not a lot of learning from the generations before us. Uh, we have tremendous firefighters, uh, fire officers, EMTs and paramedics in our organization. Uh, and it really is about seeing them and seeing how they're doing. Uh, we instituted something a couple of years ago where for every cardiac arrest, we send either a battalion chief or one of our uh, EMS um, battalion chiefs or supervisors to ensure that our people are okay. Uh, a lot of the calls that we see, uh, there's a lot of vicarious trauma involved, and we wanna be able to get those eyes on people and see how they're doing. Ask them the questions. Uh, we have our employee assistance programs. We have, as I said, the human performance and optimization, which is probably the cutting edge program in the country. Um, a lot of people have what they call a training division in the fire service. Ours is called human performance and optimization. And we have uh, neurofeedback. We have a lot of different modalities and a lot of different subject matter experts that go out to our training and they deal with stress inoculation. Um, so that's something that is a, it's a long, broad subject that I, I can introduce you to the people in our organization that do it. Those are super helpful, but they had to establish those relationships when our, with our people. The first year or so that they were here, you can imagine everyone is looking at them like, wait, what is this new thing? We don't understand it. We don't know it. And now it's just part of our culture. So it's introducing things like that. It's introducing those concepts to leaders when they first come in the fire service or the military, and then making that part of their culture, bringing it up so that they're always, there's always an understanding of it. So fascinating. I love how innovative you are. And I love how also transformative you are, not only from individual standpoint, but with your team and also, of course, with offering and creating and crafting new programs. And for everybody, again, innovation, it's forefront right now more than ever. We have to figure it out, tools and avenues that work, because I love also a concept that you said your colleagues are your family and self-care and care of others and recognizing 
what others are doing. I remember back in the days when we were building multi-million dollar simulations and simulations were first way of educating kind of in that progressive innovative way. And so many people don't know what's going on if they never had that experience before. They don't understand how certain symptoms or certain reactions are affecting them and they don't know necessarily root cause. And I just love that you said, uh, neurofeedback, how important it is and identifying possible PTSD or, or other vicarious trauma and giving chance to step back and um, de de decompress as we would say, right? Yes, I, that is super important. And, and I do have to say, um, I can't take credit for human performance and optimization. That was a brain trust of several people in the organization. Um, I'm fortunate to be a part of a lot of these programs and I get to participate in them. Uh, but there is dozens of people behind the scenes that have done phenomenal work in this area to truly understand it. Our, our wellness bureau and our training bureau are, are truly two of the best um, cutting edge bureaus in the country when it comes to that. Wow, that is fantastic. Again, kudos for all of that. So Scott, when I listen to you, obviously you're already living your legacy and through your demonstrative consistent leadership and how you show up as a human, as a, as a colleague, and then of course, as a leader in your organization. And then you're leading your legacy because that is a part of it. But then you're already leaving your legacy in a way for others to um, recognize um, with how to fill your big shoes and step into the greatness that you uh, demonstrate consistently whoever you touch. Do you mind sharing at this point in your life the programs that you instituted uh, that showed to be a um, huge game changer? But in addition, also, um, what would you like as a part of that to be your legacy uh, for years and decades to come? Sure. Um, there's... There's probably programs throughout my career that I've worked on that are some are hands-on uh, technical rescue training programs like trench rescue and those types of things. Uh, but I think the ones that I'm most proud of um, are as I moved up in the organization uh, into the captain rank and being a station commander and uh, working to develop a culture that uh, one of my friends in our organization uh, coined the phrase, we're here to help, what can we do? And, and um, when you get into special operations in the fire service, um, you tend to get people that are hard chargers, they're go-getters, they're type A personality. Um, very, very few right brain people get into special operations because of, of the demand. Um, and it's not to say that they're not welcome. What, what we need is a combination of that. And I would say that the um, getting that the left brain people and orchestrating the right brain side to it so that they can understand perspective, but still push. But, you know, in our station back when I was a captain, that was our goal. When we showed up on an incident, it wasn't this, oh, here comes this team, get out of the way. It was, we're here to help, what can we do? Um, and if people didn't follow that culture, then they didn't, they weren't in that station for a long time. Um, when it comes to moving up the ranks in, in the fire service, it be, every rank you go to, it becomes less about you and more about everybody else. And you hear all the catchphrases, it's not me, it's we, and those kind of things. But it truly is 
being there for other people, making sure they have what they need to be successful in doing their job and go home the next day. So, you know, as I mentioned before, the, the effective leadership is a mindset. What I want to leave people with and what I love hearing from people that I'm working with, when I hear them repeat phrases like ask questions from a place of curiosity rather than making statements from a place of judgment, then I know that it's some it's resonating with them. We all go back and forth between those two areas. It's human nature. We can't avoid it. And when I tell people I can't avoid it, they're like, oh, thank God, I thought it was just me. We all do it. But I want people to realize it's that outcome-based mindset it's understanding other people's perspectives and it's refining it through your own life experiences and those that you're fortunate to work around. Excellent advice and such a great perspective and insight. I'm curious now with all the experience that you have, what it takes to be a great firefighter. Uh, I would say the first words that come to mind when I think about that are uh, compassion and drive and understanding. You have to be able to understand uh, what's going on around you, situational awareness, uh, in order to be safe and to be effective with people. Um, having the drive to, to learn uh, on, from every call, every incident, uh, er every training instructor that you have, your colleagues that are around you, uh, and, and that compassion and that empathy to understand when someone's having a bad day, and it's our job to help them through that. Uh, being able to, for me, one of the, the best things about being a paramedic was being able to take someone that can't see, that, that may be having uh, either a mental health crisis, they could be having a stroke, um, they could have vertigo, or there could be a bunch of injuries and they're scared because they don't know what's going on with them and look them in the eye and say, we're gonna take care of this, you're gonna be okay. Um, that's not something you get to do in a lot of professions. Um, but the more you have that ability, uh, the more successful you'll be at this job. That is amazing. I, I can't agree more. Again, experiencing that firsthand and thank God was nothing major. But at the moment, you don't know what's going on and, and how pivotal that was to not only calm me down and soothe me, but in the same time to know that I'm in safe hands and, and hands that I can trust. And I think the trust that uh, you are able to create is by far most exceptional that I'm seeing in, in just in sense of um, being on that receiving end. With, with the closing and closing, I would like to, if you can just share with us, what would you like to be remembered for in this chapter of your life with all the amazing wisdom and knowledge um, and, and, I, and, and the, as you obviously carved the further path and your bucket list that is you still want to achieve what that would be? Um, I, I'd love to be able to take what I have here and lead this. Uh, and one of my best friends coined the term sphere of influence. And they um, said, never hesitate to take the opportunity to increase your sphere of influence. And if I can do that larger uh, at South Metro, I'd love to finish my career here because um, we have an amazing organization, one of the greatest fire departments in the world. And uh, I'd love to increase that sphere of influence. The legacy and, and what I uh, what I gain satisfaction in, which I've, I've already I've already gained and it just gets better every day is um, I want to be um, a compassionate leader that is known for 
listening to other people and understanding their perspective and incorporating that to increase that that sphere of influence. I'm not always the best at it and I'm learning every day, uh, but that's what I want. Wonderful. And since we're having a lot of leaders in different industries watching and listening, and part of our tapestry, our community, either locally or nationally, what would be your message to them? How can we face the challenges we're seeing right now happening? How can we carve better future? That's a great question. And um, if if anybody has any other answers to it, please send them to me because it's it's a daily uh, a daily challenge. Uh, I would say. Um, take the opportunity to look at whether you see them as conflicts or problems. Translate that into a challenge because conflict and problem are, to me are negative words. Translate it into a challenge and look at it from an outcome mindset mm. and come up with some small steps to move forward, to get things going in the right direction. Because leadership is all about getting, getting everyone going in the right direction for a, a common goal, uh, a common objective. And you know whether that's a fire or it is building a high-rise building, it's all about that and it has to start somewhere. Uh, the other thing I would say is with the multiple generations of leadership and workers that we have in the workforce now, um, one of your other podcasts, a gentleman made the comment that management is about um, uh, taking care of what's going on right now and leadership is about taking care of what's going on in the future. And I love that phrase. Um, as leaders, we have to be looking at not only the generations that are in the workforce now, but that next generation coming into the workforce. What is, what's their history book and what is their way of looking at things? Because if we can't lead them, we might as well get out of the business now. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Excellent. Excellent share. Um, when we look at all of this, what we just covered is so much of amazing golden nuggets here. And for everyone watching and listening that is eager to connect with you, learn more about how they can contribute or even enticed to pursue a career and career path where they can possibly maybe volunteer and support and do more for our community or communities at large, we can find you and where they can connect with you. Um, there, there's really uh, two two ways. The easiest way is probably on LinkedIn. Uh, and if if people are watching this, they're probably connected to you so that they can see us as a mutual connection. That's probably the best way. Um, there's also uh, my wife and I uh, founded empower2evolve.com. And uh, it's empower the number two evolve.com. And that has a lot of, of information, not only for first responders, but uh, also for uh, professionals in the civilian workforce. Those would be the best two ways. Fantastic. Thank you, Scott, for your time and opportunity to speak with you. We much appreciated all amazing wisdom and great lessons in this episode. And I'm sure we'll be eager to have you back down the road with more exciting information and more exciting news to share. Well, thank you for the great conversation, Isabel. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.